chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 6. As we continue the thought that we started last week in Hebrews, uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 9, and I pray that we are able to get through all nine. If not, then we'll just go as far as the Lord leads us tonight to go. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of, resurrect and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit, for it it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs meet for them by whom it is dressed receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burnt. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you, and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come again. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace to us, Father, to bless us. Lord, it's by your grace your unconditional love, Father, that you would love us, those who have sinned against you, Father, and save us by your grace. Father, tonight as we open up your word, Lord, we ask you to bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. So the running thread, this is a continuation from chapter 5, verse 11 through 14. The running thread is this statement. Spiritual maturity the Bible teaches us, does not depend fundamentally on intellectual ability. It isn't corrected with theological depth or the ability to grasp deep theological truths. The readers were spiritual infants because they weren't putting into practice what they had learned. And that was the admonition. Uh, if you remember in chapter 5, look at verse 14, the very last chapter there, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And what that means is spiritual maturity. And in chapter 6 in our text, as we start, this whole section is based on these words right here in verse 1. If you Remember anything as we go, the thrust of the message as we go tonight, as we leave being taught. He says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on. Let us go on. This whole section, and I stopped and I got thinking about this. This whole section is acting, it's cheering us on. A lot of people will take the wrong impression of these verses, and especially when we get, and we, hopefully we will get to that tonight, they'll think, of, oh, it's apostate. Or, uh, and 
chapter 5, verse 11 through 14, he's actually shaming us. He's, he's shaming all of us into thinking, well, we need to grow more. We need to grow more in spiritual maturity. We all do. And that is what he's saying. And if you remember, he said, we're leaving those first principles in verse 12 of ye have need for when the time ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracle of God. And that's what we just read in chapter 6. But in chapter 6, verse 1, he's saying, leaving the foundation, leaving the fundamental foundation of Christ and the doctrine, and he told us what those are, let us go on from there. So it's, it's and I started picturing a coach. Now, when I was in junior high, I, I played football. And when I was in high school, I played football. And I can remember my very first time <laughs> playing football. I mean, I was in seventh grade. Back then, junior high was seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. What in middle school, it was junior high. And I can remember the very first time uh, at seventh grade, and I was just small. I mean, I, I, was, I was kind of, I was big, I was big bone, but I, you know, I wasn't strong. I was kind of, and I was short, still am. But, uh, so I walk onto the practice field, and I'll never, for, I'll never forget Coach Barnott. I don't know if Robbie ever brought up Coach Barnott, but this man. So I'm sitting, uh, I'm on the second string, and we, they used us as kind of like the, the, the tackle dummies, you know. And so, you know, they didn't have a lot of money to, to, to get big tackle dummies that you see football have. Uh, they used us. They, they used the, the ones that were little and the seventh graders. So, so we'd line up, and there's these just, I look across, and we're used for them to, to practice against us. I look across me, and I'm playing nose guard. I look up, and there is a fullback who's on the other side of the center, and this man is Goliath to me. This, I mean, I don't know how many times he was in ninth grade, but I do know that this was a man with a full beard, and I mean, it looked like Buckus in front of me. I'm, I'm little, and I'm like, oh boy, Philip, what have I got myself into? And back then, those pads weren't like they are today, you know? So the... the Everybody gets down. We're getting ready to run the play. And then off to my left-hand side, I hear Coach Barnard. He goes, Jeffries, 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 Jeffries. And he just keeps yelling, Jeffries, you're going to hit him. You're going to hurt him. You're going to run through him. I know you can do it. You can do it, Jeffries. Come on, Jeffries. Come on, Jeffries. And he kept going and going and going. And I could feel my just a fire get lit in me. And I started gritting my teeth. And then that fear was gone. I mean, I was going to tackle this person. He goes, I know he's coming up your hole, Jeffries. He's coming right at you, and I want you to put him down. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to put him down. I don't care if I die. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go after this guy, and he is not, I'm going to take him down. I could feel just the energy coming up on me, and the ball is hiked, and here, come, here he comes, and then smack. He lays me flat down. I mean, it was like, 
an elephant stamping on a dandelion, okay? I mean, it, I, I, but I held on to his, his thigh. And this guy drugged me. He was running the other way. He drugged me for 20 yards. And I was holding on, and then I just let go. And I felt like I got ran over hard. And then Coach Barnock, he started, I mean, I, I got up kind of embarrassed. He got up and he started hopping and shouting. He goes, look at Jeffries. Look at Jeffries. Look at Jeffries. He goes, he goes, blood on him. I look down and there's blood on me. And to this day, I don't know whose blood it was, but there's blood all over me. And from that point forward, I was like, I know what to do. I know the mental place to be. And when that ball's hiked, I mean, go. And I, and I got to imagining, I couldn't imagine, you know, how much I respect the military and what the military does. I mean, that's a football game. I couldn't imagine actually being in war and combat and having to go to a mental place where it's like, you either get them or they're going to get you. That's the mental place that, that I had to go. But I will never forget Coach Barnott. He was coaching me up. He was encouraging me. And that is what I see here. I see this here. I see, let us go on. Because here's what's going to happen. You're gonna, you have a spiritual battle. You have a battle that is going on. You have a warfare that you're fighting. And we are he is cheering you on to go on to these principles that are going to help you, that are going to equip you. Uh, leave the, the foundational things behind. Yeah, we know about repentance and faith and uh, the resurrection, but we need the fuel. We need encouragement, and we need to go. Now, here's the thing is Coach Barnott filled me with emotionalism. And he, he did. He, I mean, I, that, that's what that was. It was emotionalism, and it gave me a short burst for that play. But when it comes to the word of God, we do not go off emotionalism. You do not fuel your Christian life with emotions. Because, I mean, if, if you try to fight a spiritual warfare, a spiritual battle with your emotions, it's like trying to come to church in your car and your tires are flat, you're out of gas and you got no steering wheel. I mean, there, there's no power and there's no direction. And you're not going to get as far as the end of the street with it. And that's the thing that we see so many churches doing today. Yeah, I mean, coach, it was a battle cry. I mean, and that's what we see a lot of churches doing. They're just doing emotionalism. It's a battle cry. They're stirring the, the troops up. And they, they've got this story and this story. And you leave here full of resolve and emotions and everything. And then we see that just fizzle out. There's no power. There's no power to fight the fight of faith in your dark hours, in your dark days. I mean, I don't know how many of you all have been in the ocean, but there's been several times where a wave will crash on top of me and it'll take my breath and you're circling around underneath the wave. And then when you finally get back up and your head's above water, boom, another wave hits you. And isn't that life? Aren't those circumstances that we have in life where it feels like, boom, a wave crashes on you. And then as soon as you get your head up, 
boom, another wave crashes down on you. But you know what? If you think about it, isn't that also the way the grace of God is? Just when God gives you grace to get through a trial, there's another wave of grace coming. And just there's another one coming. And there's another one coming. And he is so good to us. And that is the cry here. It is a call to maturity. Chapter 6. At the end of chapter 5, it it shamed me into, yes, I need to get more committed. I need to leave those first principles. I need to, and he also, also, uh, in verse 11, he says, I want to go on to talk about complicated spiritual truths, but you're dull of hearing. And the thing with our spiritual warfare, what do we need to fight? Um, Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. You know, when those waves are crashing down on you, when there's just trial after trial after trial, and you're fighting the fight of faith, We ask the Lord to give us comfort, give us peace, give us endurance, give us patience, give us hope, give us energy, give us strength. But what does he say here in chapter 10 of Ephesians, verse 10, how do you fight this fight? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Now, This is not fighting with emotionalism. What are we going to fight with? Verse 14. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Did you notice our offensive weapon is the Bible? It's the Word of God. How did Jesus fend off Satan? He says, get the hint, Satan. This is what you do. This is what you do. This is how you fight it. You fight it with the Word of God. Get the hint, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord my God, and only him shalt thou serve. That's the word of God. When you're tempted or when you're, when you're down, when you're thinking of things, when you're becoming depressed or, or whatever, it just the wave is, you've got, you're under the wave, it's crashing upon you. Let's put on this armor of God. Let's hold, stand fast in the word of God because we're in the Lord. And this is how we fight it. We don't fight it with uh, emotions. We don't fight it with fear. We fight it with the word. Get thee hence, Satan. I can't tell you how many times 
I'd walk, I'd run in, uh, having a bad dream, run into mom and dad's bedroom, wake up mom. Mom, I had a bad dream, and I can't get the thoughts out of my head. It just, I can't stop thinking about these thoughts. And she said, why don't you pray? And pray, get thee, hang, get thee hence, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Get thee hence. And every time I do that, it was just, it was amazing. Attack. You, I mean, we have the defensive weapons, but we also have the word of God. And verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. It's perseverance. This is how you persevere. The whole admonition in Hebrews, hasn't it been to hold fast, lay hold, persevere? And that is actually the message that we are seeing. And if you come back to Hebrews chapter 6, there's a call to action in chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on. Let us go on. And if you remember, it, again, it wasn't about them not knowing truth, knowing theology. They weren't practicing it in their lives. They weren't trusting. They weren't having faith. They weren't fighting the good fight of faith. They weren't fighting against attacks of the devil in their life. And so that is the admonition. But let us go on unto perfection. Perfection means maturity. Let's go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. I love that hymn, I am resolved. I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delights, things that are higher, things that are nobler. These will allure my sight. I will hasten to him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus uh, greatest, something, and I forget the rest of it. Uh, all right, well, maybe you can look it up, give you an incentive to look up the rest of that song. I will come to thee. I am resolved. And as we leave here, let us go on. Let's all do that. Let's do it. He's coaching us up. Come on. Let's do it. We have some spiritual maturity. Amen. We need to mature. We need to leave those things behind and mature. Apply the first principles in your life and be in the word of God and watch the Lord just open it up to you and give you confidence and give you peace in those trials. And you know what? To a person that keeps getting smashed by the wave, um, these circumstances may lay you flat. The difference is between somebody. Now, here's, here's the difference. Those who are truly saved will persevere. They will persevere because they're preserved. Okay? And those trials, when they lay you flat, and they do, these circumstances lay us flat on our back, just like I was laid flat on my back after that big guy hit me and took me down. The difference is someone who has been in the Word can look up just like Job and say, Though the Lord slay me, yet I will trust in him. He'll put joy in your heart. 
I don't know why I got hit by that crashing wave, but I do know the Lord is sculpting you. If you're one of His, He's tempering you. He's sculpting you. And in your situations, not my situation. The Lord knows which situations to put in your life to continue to be. I mean, uh, that's what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. We are created unto good works. We are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We are His workmanship. And we've been already ordained that we should walk in them. The Lord has a plan for you how to mold you, how to shape you, how this wave, once it lays you flat, how to bring that joy. And so with maturity, we can do that. We can, instead of just focusing on the pain, focusing on why, we know why. God's on his throne. God's on his throne. Those who are only emotionalism driven, they're not spiritual driven, those who are trying to fight the, the battle in, with emotions, they're going to get knocked down and not get up. You know, it's kind of the person that is trying, like I said, trying to drive to church. You barely get to the end of your street. You don't have any power. You don't have any direction in your life. You don't have any purpose. What are you going to do? You're going to give up and you're going to jump on the bus with the rest of the world. Because you've not persevered. And that's the warning. At, there's several things going on in this text at the same time. First of all, it is telling us that we should move on. It's a call to maturity. We should go on. Secondly, it is coaching us up. It, it is it's gearing us up. Uh, let us move on into the maturity. That should be the direction we're going. Pilgrims should make progress. You have to make progress. You do not stay on milk diets. Uh, and milk diets, again, is not just knowledge. It includes knowledge, but it also includes practical life, practice of life. How can I pray for my brother who is hurting when I've got all these issues my, on myself? How can you do Well, It takes somebody mature in the faith to do that. It takes somebody, a spiritual maturity. Uh, a confidence that you're only going to get by going through the fire and coming out the other side and knowing your God reigns and know that you're a child of his and he loves you and you, and you are going to reign. Whatever happens in this life, you know that at the, when, when it's lights out, it's good morning, Lord, you're going to be with him forever and ever and ever because he is our savior, our king, the creator of the universe. All things are for him and by him. All things exist and consist. It's going to be him. At Job says, I know my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand on the earth the latter day. It's going to be, he is the winner of it all. And we're his children. So we're going to, I mean, uh, what, a, what a day. Um. I know that I'll get started here in a minute. I, that's still my introduction. So I, I don't think we're going to get to verse 9 tonight. But let's look at verse 1 and we're, we're going to dissect this. Therefore. Now the therefore Lee is bringing us from the previous thread of those who can handle the strong meat. Um, it's not just proportional of how well you understand truth, but how you can discern good and evil using that truth, using that meat 
Verse 14, uh, we don't just keep knowledge for knowledge's sake, but we use it as a tool in our life. Um, So therefore, leaving the principles, now leaving the principles of uh, Christ, or the doctrine of Christ, does not mean that you abandon those truths. We, We don't abandon them, we don't leave them and forget about them. No, they're foundational truths. They're fundamentals of the faith. It's Christianity 101. It's you've been born again day one. Okay, so uh, those are the babes in Christ. So those are the ones that need the sincere milk of the word and they need the first principles and and things of that nature. Uh, So we're not leaving it behind. It, It does us well to meditate on those things and to always keep them in perspective. They're foundational to every other doctrine that you're ever going to know or practice in your life. But let us go on to perfection, which is maturity. Now, there's three pairs of these first principles. If you notice, there's, and they're kind of similar to each other. There's repentance and faith. That's pair one. And in verse two, it's baptism and laying on of hands. That's pair two. And the resurrection and eternal judgment. That's pair three. And they're all kind of related to each other. So we're going to talk about, just a little while, the the repentance from dead works in verse 1. Now, imagine you're a Jew and you're reading this. And a lot of these have to do with the doctrine of the Jews, of what the Jews did. And so this repentance from dead works, the works which they thought were unto life are actually unto death. The religion, you know, religion can look great on the outside. It can look beautiful. But if, it, if you have a heart that is motivated by your selfishness or you have a corrupt heart or if you're still in your sins, uh, that's dead works. Those, those works aren't doing anything. Uh, they're actually condemning you. And Paul had even said, you think you're laying for yourself up treasure in heaven, but what you're laying up for yourself is wrath upon wrath. And so we repent, and that repent is a change of mind. It's not just being sorry about sin. It's not about being sorry you got caught. It's changing your mind about sin. Let us be careful. It's a a very early concept. It's a very early principle, but sometimes it's easy to forget just what repentance is. It's not a matter you're sorry before the Lord. You have a change of mind about what you just did. You turn from what you just did. You turn from it. It's poison. You don't want that. <laughs> it's sin. So that's repentance. So you have repentance from dead works and then faith toward God. If our works are not rooted in faith in Christ and the love of God through the Spirit, they are useless in terms of salvation, in terms of eternal life. Now, this pair put together, I like this, is a summary statement of this pair. We are truly and only saved by repentance of our sins, including any futile attempts to cover our sins by our own works. But we are saved by repentance and faith. Now, that's the first pair. And the second pair of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on the hands. So this is the, the concept I wanted to kind of bring out to you. Remember, he's writing to Hebrews. 
Now this word baptisms, notice the plural. We know there's only one baptism. There's only one kind of baptism. He's not talking about us having the baptisms which we think of. This word in the Greek is called, it is baptismos, mos. It's plural. It's only used four times in the whole New Testament. Three times it's translated as washings. This is the only time it's translated as baptism. Now, what did the Jews do? According to the Old Covenant, they washed. They washed and washed. I mean, they had washings is what it's called. Uh, if you read in the Old Testament, they, they washed for this, they washed for that. Uh, if you remember Paul, they, he went to, I believe it, was, it was, I believe it was Philippi, and they didn't have a synagogue there. So not seeing a synagogue, he went to the river because that's where they wash. And so that is the washings. It's purity. That was the doctrine of purity. John Gill made this observation. It is best to interpret this of the various baptisms among the, or various washings among the Jews. In Hebrews 9.10, it actually brings that up. If you flip over to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 10. So he's not talking about the doctrine of baptism. He's talking about the doctrine of washings. And the washings they would do for purification. Okay? Christ has fulfilled that. Christ has fulfilled any washings for purification. We are washed in the blood of the Lamb. We're washed in the blood of Christ. That's where we get purity. That's where we have purification. It's no, the, all of the purification process of them washing was a picture. It was to lead them to Jesus Christ. I mean... All, I mean, so many rituals of them washing was only to bring them to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and his true washing. And that's what it says here in Hebrews 9, verse 10. It says, but Christ, uh, but Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by, I don't, I don't know if I'm in the right place here. Yeah, it, it, well, in, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, which, but Christ being come and a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once to the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Um, I think I have, that is not the text that I wanted to go to, but the, the text that, maybe you can find it, but it is in reference to the worldly sanctuary of the Old Covenant, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings. And diverse washings. So, um, did you say that was verse 14? 10? Yeah, verse 10. Uh, barely missed it. Which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings. That word washings is baptismos. And carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of Reformation. So that is their observation in the Old Covenant. And so the, verse 2, the doctrine of baptisms, I believe he is talking about the regeneration. We're leaving the principles, the first principles of the doctrine of Jesus washing away your sins. The purification of the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And so he goes on to talk about and laying on of hands. There were several ways that the, the laying on of hands was practiced in the Old Testament and in the New Testament for blessings, for sending someone out on a journey, for healing. But also in the Old Testament, if you remember, the priest had laid their hands on the scapegoat. And there they sent the scapegoat off, imputing the sins of the people upon the scapegoat. And so I believe what this is, is it's brought together in these two pairs, the blood of Christ purifies and atones. It's talking about Jesus Christ's blood. That is the doctrine of washings and a laying of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Both this pair is future. This is talking about the physical resurrection that we will have one day, that golden daybreak that Jesus will come. And eternal judgment refers to the judgment on the last day. That final, uh, that and of eternal judgment is final. And it's definitive. There's nine, uh, Hebrews 9.27 says, As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So again, we're, we're not told that these are secondary truths or these are unimportant truths, but they are truths that any professing believer, unless they are newly converted, should have a handle on and not have to be taught or convinced of. That's the thing. Remember, he's talking to the Jewish believers, the Jewish professing believers, they're going through persecution. They're going through family pressures. They're, they're alienating their, their whole people, right, with Christianity. And he is speaking to them that you, you leave those first, any professing Christian, and if not, someone not newly converted does not need to be convinced of this doctrine. It doesn't have to be repeated to you as something for you to believe in new or something to believe in over and over and over. And that is, that's the admonition, is we don't need to be convinced of these first truths. So in verse 3, he says, And this will we do if God permits. This isn't um, some pious cliche. It means that we should ask God for understanding in verse 3. And this will we do if God permit, or if, if it's the will of the Lord, we're going to leave these first principles behind. That's what, the re, that's what the writer is telling us he's getting ready to do. We're going to leave these first principles and we're going to move forward if God permits. And, you know, that is another thing. We should ask God for wisdom. Yeah. We should ask God for understanding in our lives. Just, and that's what James says. And if you ask it in faith, without wavering, he'll give it to you. How many times, I mean, not just in the scriptures, but in life. Lord, help me. Help me raise my children better. Help me be a better husband. Help me be just what you need me to be. And the Lord will help you and give you wisdom. And it's something, you know, not just for understanding truth, but wisdom is in the spiritual maturity. So I was thinking about this, thinking about these three pairs. If, let's say, someone who has been saved for 10 or 15 years, what would you think? Now, these are pretty 
these three pairs are pretty elementary, aren't they? I mean, as far as we were convinced of this back when we were saved, repentance and faith and, and the purification and the washing of the blood of Jesus Christ and the atonement which he made for my sin. Your sins are forgiven. That's the doctrine. Your sins are forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ, shedding his blood. And then one day we're going to be raised. And then there'll be the eternal judgment. So those were truths that you learned really soon, didn't you? When you were born again, when you were saved. Now think about somebody who professes to believe in Christ, who has been saved for 10 years, 15 years. And not only do they not know those principles, but they have to be convinced of them. That's a red flag, isn't it? Because... If you're a child of God, if you're a believer, you're living repentance and faith. I mean, you're asking the Lord to forgive you of your sins at home. I don't know how many times a day you have to do it. I know I've got to do it several times. Lord, help me. I Forgive me of my sins. I mean, just stop that sin right there and ask the Lord to forgive you. You're going to be sad about it, that it's probably whooped you again. It's knocked you down again. But the Lord, we know, is molding you and, and shaping you. But that needs to be in your life. You know, repentance and faith isn't something you just did once. And so that is the, the type of person. He's talking about being dullness of ears. There's a lot of interpretations of these scriptures. A lot of people go back and forth. Oh, this is lost people who are false professors. Or these are believers. And he's warning them not to, to go into backsliding. Because if you're not growing, you're going to be more likely to go into backsliding. And I think it's both. I, I think it can be both. That's the thing. It's cheering us on. Those who are believers, it's cheering us on to move on. And those who are not believers, those who are, are as um, Paul calls them, carnal professors, they're carnal. They're still in their sins, but they're professors of Christ. They're going to fall away. And they're not going to get back up. There, there's the warning. And we use this as a gauge in our life, don't we? I know I examine my heart and say, Lord, give me peace about this. Give me peace about this text. Give me peace about this. And, and then I'll know that, you know, people who are not saved don't do that. People who are not saved don't usually worry if they're saved. Dad used to always say that. Uh, one way, you know, people say, I'm, I'm afraid I'm not saved. I'm afraid I'm not saved. I'm afraid I'm not saved. And, and it would just worry them sick. And dad would always say, well, that's a good indicator you are. Because you're worried about it. Uh, those who are worried about it, those who are about the wrath of God, the lost person doesn't have that fear. Um, they have a guilt. Um, but they don't have that fear. So finishing... In conclusion, the, the, like I said, these passages accomplish three things. First, it's a call to maturity. It's coaching you. It's encouraging you. It's lifting us up. Let us go on. Let us go on. Let us go on. Second, it reminds us of the fundamentals of the faith. We just went over the fundamentals. The, Paul talks about the foundation. No, man, no other man is built upon this foundation. Christ has already built the foundation. It's there. We don't have to rebuild it. We're not going to build upon another foundation to Christ's foundation. It's there. 
You're saved, you're established in the faith, you're going to heaven. Let's not worry about those things and let's move on. Let's start being a blessing. Let's be prayer warriors. Let's, let's do what we need to do, but let's grow. And um, like I said, the Lord keeps blessing us. You're going to have a lot of opportunities. If uh, Pray about it. Pray about it. Lord, help me to um, not just want to grow, but how to grow. And the Lord will put something on your mind. Third, it reminds us that we must seek God to help us because God is at the heart of the process of your maturity. And that's what he says at the end of verse 3. And this will we do. We'll go on to spiritual maturity if God permit. Lord, if it be thy will, help me to grow. Help me to grow. Uh, those who are saved will persevere. They will move on. You have evidences in your life, like repentance and faith. You have evidences of the first fruits, the first principles. Um, and you know that you're saved. You have a solid hope. And aren't you glad? <laughs> aren't you glad? I mean, when you just stop and think about it and meditate on the hope that God has given you in these days, in this life, in this short life, and... Um, Sister Harriet was talking about her friend um, who's 86 years old. She's saved. She's going through complications. But she's got a hope. Amen. It makes all the difference, doesn't it? And I'm telling you, that I, you can just count on God to give you grace. You can count on it. And when that wave crashes down on you, like Job said, though the Lord slay me, yet will I trust in him. I don't know why. I'm flat on my back again, Lord. I don't know why. But I know you love me. And I know you're, you're shaping me. I know you're helping me. I mean, he loves you so much. He did not withhold his love. He did not withhold his son, the greatest love. Well, what wouldn't he give us? Now we're encouraged. Um, keep it up. Keep up fighting the good fight. Let's not uh, be satisfied with yesterday's victories because as long as you're still breathing, we have a spiritual battle. Open up Ephesians chapter 6. Look at how to put on the armor of God. That's the only way to withstand the wiles of the devil is to fight the good fight, Paul said. We do it from the word of God and we do it with the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. I mean, that's how you do it. That's how you get through it. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this evening. Thank you for this study. Father, we do pray, Lord, that you give us wisdom and understanding in your word. But, Father, just help us to give us that desire and to convict us to apply your word in our hearts and our lives. Father, that's where joy is. That's where peace is in our hearts. Father, that's where you draw us closer to you and and Father, we, we can live this life. Father, having joy in the purpose, knowing, Lord, that all things work together for our good and for your glory. Father, we do pray for those, Lord, who are going through a, just a rough time. Father, and how we grieve. How the, you know our griefs. You know that's the, the condition of our bodies. It's the condition of just being who we are, being human. And Father, you are touched with our infirmities. Father, 
we ask, Lord, that you'll just help those, give them grace, and pick them up, and show them, Father, just your great love you have. Father, we, we love you and we thank you. We, we pray your blessings upon all those for a safe trip tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.